Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 107, An Unexpected King, 1330 to 1334. In the last episode, we followed Holy Roman Emperor Louis IV and went on a little tour of Italy. Thanks to him, we managed to visit with the Visconti of Milan, the Della Scala of Verona, the Este of Ferrara, Castruccio Castracani, the dog castrator in Lucca and Pisa, and the Gonzaga in Mantua, and we even got to pop back and see our old buddy King Robert of Naples and mentioned his enemy, Frederick of Sicily. All in one tour, what more could you want from a tour guide? In 1329, Louis left Italy and everyone thought they could go right back to doing what Italians did best at the time, and perhaps also later than that, and that was beating the living daylights out of each other. One of those who really hoped to bash a few heads together and continue to expand his city and family's influence was Can Grande, Big Dog, della Scala from Verona. Unfortunately, his plans were totally ruined by him dying, and we know at A History of Italy that nothing ruins your plans like your own death. He was substituted by his son, Mastino II, Mastiff, and if anyone hoped that with the change of command, the situation would become more peaceful, they were sorely mistaken, because Mastino was fully intent on continuing his father's expansion policy. This policy had already begun to worry another power that had a change of leadership in 1329, and that was the Republic of Venice. Indeed, in that year, Francesco Dandalo became the Doge, the ruler of Venice, and he would lead the Maritime Republic for the next ten years. We saw a few episodes ago that Venice had not started the 14th century too brilliantly and they were still struggling quite a bit. You will remember that they had been defeated by a papal alliance over the control of the city of Ferrara and had been dealing with internal civil unrest and plots for years now. One other issue was a food shortage and this was the new Doge Dandolo's most pressing problem. He sorted this out by sending emissaries down to Sicily to reach an agreement on imports. Those of you who are fans of Roman history will remember that Sicily had been the breadbasket of the nascent empire before Egypt had fallen under its influence. Once Dandalo had sorted out the food issue, he looked again with worry to the situation on the mainland, where the growing influence of the Signoria meant that they could eventually form a chain of cities under their control and block Venice off from the important internal trade routes, also imposing hefty tariffs. 
Another player who had been eyeing the growing power of the Della Scala with some worry were the Visconti of Milan. There, Azzone Visconti in 1330 really tightened his grip on the city and was nominated Signore Generale e Perpetuo della Città e del Distretto di Milano, General Lord of the City and District of Milan in perpetuity. There was no mention anywhere about any form of being an imperial representative. First, because they didn't really care now there was no credible emperor about, and also because they were trying to get back into the papacy's good books, and were rather worried about what the papacy and the French were planning. They had reason to be worried. Indeed, the Pope and the French king had for some time been taking a long, hard look at the ungovernable mess that was northern Italy, thinking of the very dramatic step of actually mounting an invasion and then setting up a vassal kingdom. It was in the midst of all of this worrying and plotting and potential powder keg of a situation that something totally unexpected happened. Indeed, out from seemingly nowhere now popped a certain John of Bohemia. I told you to keep him in mind in the last episode, but it's okay if you didn't, I forgive you. He was also known as John of Luxembourg and was the son of our old friend, Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII, who had died back in 1313. At his father's death, John had entertained the thought of becoming the next emperor, but he ended up throwing his weight behind Louis the Bavarian. John had managed to become King of Bohemia thanks to his father's clever marriage alliance and, of course, getting rid of the ruling king. Now, after wandering around Europe a bit, John thought it would be cool to follow in his father's footsteps and head on down and see what he could get up to in Italy. So that is why, in the autumn of 1130, John of Bohemia showed up in Trento, Trent. I think this may actually be the first time I've mentioned Trento. Possibly, because up until now it has mostly been part of what back then was considered Germany. To this day, there are still two names for the area in which Trento is. One with the German-speaking people who call it Sud-Tirol, and the Italian-speaking calling it Trentino Alto Adige. The city itself is quite nice, but perhaps better in the surrounding alpine mountains for those who love to ski or go hiking in the summer. It does have a nice castle on the north side of the city and the Muse, the science museum, on the south side overlooking the river. You may remember the city because of the famous Council of Trent, but that is quite a way off for us. So, back in 1330, there was John of Bohemia showing up in Trento to see if he could perhaps get some Italian cities on his side and cut out a little area of influence for himself, little holiday kingdom, if you will. Before we see how John of Bohemia did, a last word from our sponsors. Well, here we are. John of Bohemia is hanging around in Trento, seeing if he could drum up some support in Italy. 
Would you believe it? Soon enough, representatives from Brescia soon showed up looking for someone to help them because of the risk of being squashed by the expansion of the Visconti of Milan and the Della Scala of Verona. What really caught the big players, Milan, Verona, Venice, the Papacy and France, by surprise was that John soon had the submission of Brescia, Bergamo, Parma, Modena, Reggio Emilia, Como, Pavia, Mantua and Lucca. Now, if they had been paying a little bit more attention, the fact that all of these cities jumped at the chance to unite behind one man should not have been that much of a surprise. First of all, the Italian cities had been following emperors or popes, or in some cases emperors and popes, and had never really got that much out of it. Now was a chance to band together behind someone who didn't have eyes all over the empire or all over the Christian world, and could actually be a long-term player in the area. The big second reason was that with the powerful signorie such as the Visconti, Della Scala, and then Florence and Venice throwing their weight around and expanding, the little guys were bound to be swallowed up sooner or later. And many of them already had. So, in a very short time, John of Bohemia had put together quite a bit of support. You would imagine that as was usually the case in Italy, once a coalition formed, a counter-coalition would also quickly form. However, that was not the case. This is probably due to two reasons. Firstly, although none of the cities mentioned were very big, by banding together, they still could have caused quite a bit of a headache. Secondly, nobody really understood what John actually intended to do. Indeed, interestingly, John had declared that he had come to Italy in the name of the Pope, in the name of the Emperor, and in the name of the King of France. The interesting thing being that none of the three had actually sent him to do anything at all in their name. However, they didn't get annoyed with him. If you think about it, having some guy round up a load of support and saying he was doing it in your name could actually be a nice little present if played in the right way. So, John managed to reach a deal with the King of France and with the Emperor, Louis the Bavarian. That was a bit of a weird one. In short, John would rent the cities from the Emperor, who still felt he had influence over northern Italy, for the whopping sum of 120,000 florins. The Emperor would then have control of the cities back once he had paid back the loan in short, the emperor pawned the cities to John. The Pope also thought it might be worth having a chat with the guy. He sent his legate, Bertrando del Poggetto, to meet John in a place called Castelfranco, and then the meeting continued in another place called Piumazzo. Now, you don't need to remember either of those places, and they are of very little importance. I just thought I'd mention them because Castelfranco is where a car I once owned showed up after being stolen, and Piumazzo is where a cousin of mine is from. Anyway, this was the meeting that worried people most, since it had been the Pope who, in cahoots with Philip of France, 
had floated the idea of a French invasion of Italy. I really love that expression, in cahoots, and I am so surprised that I don't use it more often. I really, really must try to work it in. In the end, it didn't really matter what deals anyone made. All of this moving around and negotiating and wheeling and dealing did not happen overnight, and by now it was 1333. There was John, finally with the deals in his pocket, a nice bundle of cash he had collected, and even a good number of troops. He must have been really pleased with himself, but he forgot that he was in Italy, and three years is more than enough time for everyone to change their mood and their mind. So it was just when John had everything nicely bundled up that all hell broke loose. It all started with Brescia, who had been the first city to go running to him. In his agreement with the Guelph representatives of the city, he had promised not to let the Ghibellines back in. Then he let the Ghibellines back in. After that, all his plans fell apart, as did his coalition, and John turned tail and left Italy. The big guys, Milan, Verona, Ferrara and even Mantua, who had supported John, were pleased and rubbing their hands in glee. You see, while John had been rushing around and consolidating his coalition, Azzone Visconti of Milan, Mastino II of Verona, Luigi Gonzaga of Mantua and Florence had made a secret pact to divide up John's cities among them. Azzone would get Cremona and Piacenza, Luigi Gonzaga would get Reggio Emilia, Mastino would get Parma, and Papal Bologna and Florence could finally get their hands on Lucca. As soon as John was out of the picture, in April 1334, the coalition of the secret pact attacked Cremona, where John's royal representative promised he would give up the city if no help arrived by July. No help arrived by July, and the Visconti got Cremona. Nothing much else came out of the whole secret pact. Other attempted attacks were seen off, and then the new coalition had lasted for a few months now, and that was too long for a coalition to last. Cracks started to show. Especially because those della scala, meaning stairs or ladder, were really starting to push people around. It was about time that the della scala were taken down a few rungs. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting from the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Anthony G, Brian J, Celine, Chanel, Chris, David L, Dean V, Douglas, Francisco, Greg, Ignacio, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, and Kevin, and the super tippy-top level Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, and Sen. I'd also like to say welcome, welcome aboard to new Patreon supporters, James C, joining the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, 
and David L joining the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome to the family. I'd also like to take a moment, which I haven't done for a while, to thank you for your reviews on iTunes. In particular, I would like to thank Paquito121991 for his or her lovely review, I assume his. Um, please remember that if you do have a sec, it would be great for you to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast player, which with some kind of jiggery pokery hocus pocus algorithmy stuff helps others to find the podcast. Remember, if you want, my door or my email is always open. Hello at a history of Please get in touch just to say hello, to share a thought, or some deep existential problem or angst. I probably won't be able to help you, but who knows. You can also go to our website, ahistoryofitaly.com, where you can click through to social media. I have hired, sort of, an Instagram manager, which is my son. We still have to bash out the details of the contract, but we'll see, so we should hopefully be a bit more active on Instagram. And of course, you can go to good old Twitter and Facebook. On our support page, you can support via PayPal or become a patron on Patreon and have access to loads of additional content. Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.